0: Welcome to the Shift Method Podcast. I'm your host, Coach D. My goal is to shift the culture of health and fitness through evidence-based coaching and engaging content for the public and health fitness professionals alike. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. What's good, everyone? Coach D here with the Shift Method Podcast. Hope you are having a wonderful day. This is going to be episode number 55 coming out on November 27th. Happy Thanksgiving, or belated to those who are able to celebrate. Hope you all had some great time with friends, family, had lots of great food, and of course, because we're going to be talking a lot about food today, what better person to have on here than one of my friends who we just found out this is her fourth time coming on, <laughs> reigning, defending, co-host slash guest person that gets to come on the podcast. We'll see if anyone's able to dethrone her, maybe no time <laughs> soon. But that is my good friend, Hannah, the dietitian. Hannah, do you mind introducing yourself to people if somehow, again, they don't know who you are for whatever reason?
1: <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. I'm always so glad to come on the TSM podcast. Um, and I hope I can remain the top number, number one of how often I come on here. That's right. Um, I am, like you said, Hannah, Hannah Thompson, I'm a dietitian and a personal trainer. Um, I, I work mostly in disordered eating and eating disorders, um, which has become definitely, as I'll probably talk about today, um, more of a recent progression in my career as a dietitian. I did not start that way. That's for sure. Um, I currently work. Part time in a clinical position doing outpatient work, and then I also have my own private practice, which consists a whole lot of content creation, most, mostly over on you know YouTube. Have my own podcast that Damien's been on, mm-hmm. um, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. So I um, will probably plug that again later at the end, but um, that is what I spend most of my time doing: is creating disordered eating recovery content on social media.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And I cannot recommend her enough. Hannah's got quite an amazing following. And also from an education standpoint, one of the more reputable people that you'll find in the industry, because as we know, there's a lot of unnecessary noise. I think even one of our podcasts, and I'll be sure to link them down. She's been on three previously, along with one of her, her co hosts on her, the upbeat dietitian podcast, uh, Emily, who's also an RD. We've talked about the internet and managing, you know, those pressures and how some people, you know, are just rude. And even whether it's another professional or just some bozo with an anime girl as their fucking profile picture you know it's (laughs) it's a hard thing to navigate but in all seriousness like the content that hannah produces it is really high quality it's very engaging and fun um and you learn a lot a a lot of stuff that if you're a fitness professional especially things you may not hear about which we're going to talk a lot about today on the disordered eating side right i think a lot of times with clients you know we have them general weight loss general composition or general health it's like okay they have a relatively healthy relationship with food and so it's not too much worry about referral or concerns in that regard. But I will say personally, you know, coming up on my eight year mark as a trainer, I have definitely had a handful of people that I wish I had someone like Hannah time to refer to because Hmm. goes way outside of my scope when it comes to truly recognizing disordered eating in a way that's somewhat, you know, understanding from a coach perspective and then finding someone to give them to because, you know, telling someone who has disordered eating some principles that you would normally tell them is probably not the best thing for them. uh, And they need a professional. Uh, So we're going to talk all things about that. Also, a little disclaimer, if you've noticed a change in my voice, no, I did not go through a second round of puberty at 27. Uh, Your boy's a little sick. So I'm gonna try my best to keep it as concise as possible when I speak so that Hannah can be the professional and speak. But that's why it's going to sound a little bit weird here and there. But uh, let's go ahead and move past that. So I think a good place to start Hannah is just kind of a general understanding of disordered eating as an umbrella, term, right? You know, I think you and I do very well with uh, getting definitions down first, right? So if you could outline for our people, just like, overall, what would you classify disorder eating as a term?
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think now would be a good time too to kind of clarify the differences between disordered eating and eating disorders, because I think they do often get used interchangeably. But of course, one is more extreme than the other. Um, so disordered eating is sort of on that spectrum in between like, "Quote unquote normal eating," um, okay. and then an eating disorder, which is kind of, of course, the full extreme. Um, so, disorder eating could totally include symptoms and behaviors of an eating disorder, but it's usually going to be at a less lesser frequency, lower level of severity. Um, and uh, what's tricky too is a lot of eating disorders don't get diagnosed, um, and so people absolutely could have an eating disorder but just think it's disordered eating because it was never diagnosed. Um, But for the purpose of today's podcast, I think it is appropriate to just say disordered eating when talking about all all these different things. Um, And of course, choosing to get diagnosed or having the option, that's not always even accessible to everybody. Um, That would kind of be level two, I would say. Um, But I thought it could be helpful too, to maybe even throw in some stats to kind of illustrate like how serious this kind of stuff is. i
0: with the data. Um, I love it.
1: I know. I know you'd like that. I know you'd like that. I'm <laughs> sure your listeners will too, if they're listening to your podcast. Um, but there is an estimate that about 9% of Americans struggle with an eating disorder. Um, of course, it's going to be so much more for disordered eating, which ends up being about like 28, 30 million Americans, which is crazy. Yeah. And again, of course, that number is so much higher for disordered eating. I mean, anecdotally speaking, almost every single person that I interact with as a dietitian professionally exhibits some form of disordered eating. Like I'm I'm surprised when I meet someone as a dietitian and they don't <laughs> exhibit disordered eating behaviors. Yeah. It's just, it's so normalized, it's everywhere. Um, I think it's often usually too think like you think of it as like being mostly in females, but it is absolutely a thing in males as well. Um, as someone who works mostly with females, my content is usually a little bit geared more toward that towards them. Um, I do want to point out, you know, the numbers regarding females as well. And that is about 15% of women will suffer from an eating disorder. Again, even more disordered eating. Um, and what's even sadder about that is only 27% of them will get any support for it. So that's what I think is so important to know about disordered eating and eating disorders is it's everywhere, um, which is why I make the content that I do. But so few people, first of all, even know they have it because it is so normalized. Mm -hmm. And second of all, ever even get treatment for it because it's not accessible to everybody. And again, they don't even know that they need treatment.
0: Absolutely. So to kind of help me and maybe my listeners conceptualize this with like an analogy. So disordered eating is kind of the behavior or the pattern we see like on a continuum, meaning, you know, you exhibit maybe a couple of times you do something that maybe isn't quite what you consider the normal range of behavior. And then through continual repeated processes of participating in that behavior, along with maybe some side effects that come with that long-term that can then develop into an eating disorder. Is that kind of a good way to think about it?
1: Totally. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, again, the frequency and the severity of how often we're doing those things is, when it kind of goes to the full extreme of being an eating disorder that could be diagnosed by a a physician.
0: Got you. Kind of on that topic of stats, because I I find these things very interesting. I have learned that it is more common in women. Do you find that there's an age discrepancy where it's more common in younger women, like high school, college age versus older women? Do you see that discrepancy?
1: That's a good question too. And I, I wanted to bring that up actually, because eating disorders don't have a look or an age that they are like pinpointing. I don't know the exact stats on like what age is the most likely I'd be happy to look into that more. Um, but I, I did want to bring that up, how it absolutely can impact anybody from age. I mean, as young as four or five, six, if they've got that yeah. generational dieting going on where their parents are always talking about food in a poor way, um, all the way up until I have patients that I've seen that are in their seventies that have disordered eating, it's whole spectrum and yeah. I think I wanted to point out too how, speaking of it, not having a look, um, we think of eating disorders specifically, but of course, disordered eating too, as presenting as like these wafer, thin women, usually white women, you know, their hair is super thin, but fewer than 6% of eating disorders are clinically underweight based on BMI, which if you guys know me, you know, I don't (laughs) love BMI, but all that aside, um, underweight based on that uh, diagnosis, um, And most of the disordered eating and eating disorders are going to be in those in larger bodies. And they have a higher risk of developing it because of how they are treated. I mean, fat stigma and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that's an important thing too, is it's not, you can't always look at someone and just assume they do or don't have an eating disorder or disordered eating.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the timing. I actually, this was not intentional, but I'll pretend it was how it is coming around <laughs> Thanksgiving time. And just as I've gotten older, you know, more conscious, more of my front brain developing as a young man, I've definitely have noticed the comments of family and people. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's a weird thing to say to someone when you haven't seen them in six months, you know, whether it's like, really, your second plate, or like, oh, Ugh. you're eating that like, And again, people might say like, oh, you know, you know, those comments, like you let those things bother you. It's like, you know, words matter to people. I know Mm -hmm. that may sound PC or whatever dumb crap people want to say. But again, if words didn't matter, then we wouldn't talk to each other. We wouldn't value certain things a certain way. We wouldn't value what people say regardless of their position. So Mm -hmm. I, I definitely have an issue with people saying those things, especially when it's coming from your family, which for most people is people they care about and want to have like a good relationship with. So I just find that interesting that, you know, this time of year is definitely something where I know people talk about these things or these things may become more prevalent maybe in their life.
1: There's just like so many other things to talk about besides (laughs) like what is on your plate and what your body looks like. Like there's just so much more important things. First of all, I mean, the world is like going up in flames right now, but (laughs) even just like in our own personal little bubbles, like there is so much more stuff to talk about besides just like if our weight has changed since last time you saw me, you know?
0: 100%. Yes. And so I definitely want again to get into talking about from a coach's perspective, a big thing is like maybe some ways as a as a coach to recognize some disordered eating habits that maybe can clue you in, but kind of to focus more so right now on what are some of the more common types of eating disorders that maybe you see or that are just in the general population for people to be aware of.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I think a lot of people assume that The the main type of eating disorder is going to be, we think of anorexia nervosa, which is um, when someone is just restricting their food intake a whole, whole lot. And the truth actually is, is that binge eating disorder is the most common currently. And it was not classified as an eating disorder until more recently than anorexia was. Um, So I'm sure binge eating disorder has always been, or for a long time has been the most common, but it wasn't recognized as an eating disorder until a little bit closer to now. Um, But that is the most common one is binge eating disorder, um, which is when a person eats a large quantity of food over a short period of time, they're repeating that behavior over and over again and they're not purging it, that would be bulimia um, because that is in the top types as well. Um, And those are the eating disorders, you know, when we talked about someone is doing these things over and over again and they get diagnosed, but of course, disordered eating behaviors, there's so many common versions of that. And we talked about social media being just a crazy, hot mess of a place with um, this happening all the time. And I think that's what's so sneaky about disordered eating is a lot of times it's really glorified. Um, You know, you see someone lose weight and automatically assume that they're like doing the right thing, their health improved, but we don't really know if that's what happened. There could have been a lot of reasons that they lost weight. Yeah. Um, I would say when it comes to disordered eating specifically, aside from eating disorders, the most common ones that I, I see um, intermittent fasting right (laughs) now is definitely a big one. And I want to make the disclaimer here that, you know, every time someone does intermittent fasting or counts their calories or weighs themselves, It's not automatically disordered, um, but it actually absolutely can be, Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on our, our intention behind it and how frequently we're doing it and everything. But yeah, I would say intermittent fasting could be one right now. And if it is considered one, it's one of the most popular from what I see, um, calorie counting, macro tracking, low calorie diets in general, We're, we're getting to a place where, those ridiculously restrictive fad diets, people are like kind of catching on that. Those don't work.
0: You're saying I can't just do a thousand calories a day and sustain that.
1: I mean, (laughs) it'll work for weight loss, which is the whole point, but it's not going to be sustainable. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. But yeah, we're getting to a place where people are kind of noticing that like these crazy restrictive ones aren't working very well. And so diet culture is getting a little more sneaky and, it's throwing around terms like lifestyle change. They're even Mm. kind of co-opting like intuitive eating and anti-diet language a lot of times and saying like, your body is not the problem, but you should still be losing weight because your body is wrong at this size. Mm. I've seen so many like weight loss, like companies specifically say stuff like that um, because they know that they can't really make sales anymore using like really restrictive language. And so they're trying to like get kind of sneaky and- Yeah,
0: got to change the battle plan a little bit.
1: Very Mm -hmm. interesting.
0: That's, I didn't even think about that part of changing their language. Cause yeah, you're right. I have noticed that just like anecdotally from talking with like young coaches I mentor, even new clients I'm getting, yeah, the the severely restrictive thing doesn't seem as prevalent. People are like, they're showing me my fitness pal and they're like, look, my coach said 800 calories today. I'm like, yo, you're out of your freaking mind, dude. Like, (laughs) we're gonna, we're gonna change that right now. But yeah, that's interesting. The change of language. I, I also like how you frame that where it's like, you know, you can do certain things, but it's the context of it, right? So totally. anecdotal example, right? Do I, I mean, y'all know me. I post about food all the time. I love food. Food is a wonderful part of my life. I eat all types of food. Hannah's a good person to teach me there's no such things as good or bad foods. Yes. I slammed some mochi donuts last night. I had zero <laughs> guilt. I had a great time because I was celebrating a birthday um, and it was amazing. But do I track my food and have certain aesthetic and athletic goals that I make sure my protein and my macros are at a certain place for myself personally, so long as they don't become obsessive and pathological. Yes. And so for me in that context, like Hannah said, that is something that can be represented as more on the healthy side of the spectrum. Versus, and Hannah correct me if I'm wrong, someone who maybe downloads my fitness pal or weighs themselves multiple times a day or the second day drink some water and they're like having a, a mini panic attack about oh, I changed 0.2 on the scale or, oh, I went over 15 calories on my daily macro goal.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's what I'm currently, kind of the camp I'm into. And it's it's tricky because if you ask other dietitians in the similar bubble as myself, like a weight-inclusive non-diet dietitian, um, we all kind of have pretty wavering beliefs about this kind of stuff and thoughts and all of that. Some will say that calorie counting is absolutely always disordered and weighing yourself is always disordered. And there were times where my mind kind of went there too, but I've really settled in the camp of like, it just depends. It depends so much. And I know people hate hearing that it depends word um, or phrase, I guess rather, but it's so true. Like it depends on the intentions, the context, it the person's true. history. It's it's so much deeper than just it is or isn't.
0: One thousand percent. And I also like how you outline, you know, the end of the extreme where people are celebrated. I I won't say names, yeah. but I know colleagues and friends who have gone through like you know bodybuilding prep. And this is by no means a knock on bodybuilding. It's a sport for some people. It's very important to them. And some people have a very healthy relationship. And for whatever it is, it, it gets them going. It gets them excited, right? But I know a lot of people who have participated either recreationally or have competed in it that really, really struggle with some unhealthy behaviors associated with it. And a lot of times it's paired with some kind of, you know, psychological condition, whether it's depression, anxiety, or maybe even something more severe. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard when you're doing this thing that is long-term, very unhealthy for your body. Hell, even in the short term, because you feel like crap and it probably reinforces some of your, your unfortunate psychological conditions but then you're celebrated. Right. So it's like, you get all this positive, like feedback. Like you look so great. Look at the dedication, the work. And it it's true to, to get to that spot does take a lot of effort and energy, but they don't know for the particular person, like what's going on in their head and their heart. And it's like, man, I feel like shit. I'm really not any more happy with myself, but everyone's cheering me on and I got a medal around my neck. So I guess this is the right thing. Right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like of course, everyone who has an eating disorder, or disordered eating has a different personality and like what they thrive off of. But in many cases that like round of applause, like that approval they're getting from other people from outside sources, is what they're looking for. And that just like, kind of stokes the fire of the eating disorder, or disordered eating and kind of keeps it going. That is so true.
0: Absolutely. And kind of like what you said, talking about the, the weight loss conversation, you know, I've one thing I've really changed in my approach as a coach and just as like, someone who interacts with people is I try my best not to comment on someone's weight unless I know they're in a healthy place and it's going to be positive for them. So if I have to gamble and guess, like I see someone and they appear that aesthetically they've changed quite significantly since the last time I saw them, unless I'm pretty freaking certain I know why that happened, if it was intentional and done in a healthy way, I'm just going to talk about life. But I know for some of my clients who they're in a healthy mind space and they've intentionally tried and they feel better that way. I'm going to celebrate. And so I think, like you said, it's important to understand the context of that because you saying those things, well, will a uh, good intention, it might be, you don't know if this person is dealing with an eating disorder or mm-hmm. they had a severe issue in their life, trauma, loss of a loved one, breakup, etc. And now you're reinforcing something that's really so negative in their life to something that you believe is positive in a sense.
1: Exactly. And they feel like if say they regain weight after yeah. the breakup, like they get a new boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, now they're and
0: happy they and it's like, down. oh, you look like crap. And it's like, what?
1: I can't, I can't win. Can't, can't win, yeah.
0: <laughs> God, yeah. Sometimes the way people talk, it's like they can't win, which is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of answered this one, Hannah, but if you have any others you can think about. So I think you did a really good job outlining like context with like, you know, lifestyle change that's done in a healthy way versus repeated unhealthy behaviors. Are there any other ones that you can think of to kind of maybe separate those two between, Hey, someone's just trying to make healthy lifestyle changes with their exercise and their diet versus like, Oh, these might be some things that are maybe starting to become on the unhealthy side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think the biggest decide deciding factor, discrepancy, whatever that word is, the biggest thing is the intention behind it. It really, really is like what, why, I guess the, the, why is the main question. Why are you making that lifestyle or nutrition change? Um, like for example, this is very recent. Like last night, I made this really delicious spaghetti squash dish. Did you drop it's like my recipe? favorite. It's like stuffed spaghetti squash with like ground beef and cheese galore. It's so good. And, you know, I know like in the keto community, for example, <laughs> that would be a great option because it has not a lot of carbs in there. It's right. a low carb option. But for me, I wasn't eating it because it's low carb and I could eat pasta today. And, you know, that's fine. Like I would not feel guilty about that. So my intention for eating that spaghetti squash dish was not to cut carbs, lose weight, anything like that. Like I was just doing it because it's really tasty. I really enjoy the dish. The spaghetti squash did give me some fiber vitamin a I'm incorporating some gentle nutrition there. So the intention is a little bit different for that case for me yesterday, than it would be for someone who was in that like disordered eating diety mindset. So you know, a really good question to ask yourself if you are kind of wondering like where you're at on that spectrum of like, is this normal eating, healthy eating, so to speak, or am I struggling with disordered eating or eating disorder is how much time are you spending thinking about food and weight and your body? Because for me, I ate that spaghetti squash, I moved on. I had dessert later to add some carbs in cause I did need some carbs after eating a pretty low carb meal. And we're here today probably going to eat carbs again in about an hour or so. Like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think about food. I love food. It's very enjoyable for me, but as someone who has made peace with food and no longer in that disordered eating mindset, it's no longer occupying just all of my time. Whereas when I was struggling with disordered eating, I was the person who was like watching all the Buzzfeed dessert videos and hashtag food porn <laughs> on Instagram I mean, a person who is hungry, undernourished, not eating enough is going to have those thoughts all the time about food and then also their weight and their body and how it's presenting itself too.
0: Absolutely. I like that you talk about why, because when I work with coaches, when we get to like the assessment portion, usually like week two or three of a prep course I teach, that's the first thing I ask is like, okay, you've gone through the rapport building, right? You've learned about who they are. Now it's time to ask them some questions about their goals. Again you know, BMI, not perfect. You can't visibly look at someone and automatically know their health status, but walk with me with this example people. Okay. <laughs> Client comes in five foot, six female, 90 pounds, right? Might be a little bit towards the clinically underweight side of things, right? She comes to you because in high school, she was 80 pounds, right? For mm-hmm. some reason, she comes to you and says, I want to lose weight. So as a coach, especially if you're a newer coach, you might just take, oh, client gave me a goal, face value. I'm going to, I'm going to work towards their goal. The first question I always ask in any context, but specifically when it's a weight loss or, or body comp change driven goal is why is that important to you? Mm. Because that's going to frame your context. And sometimes people need to hear themselves think it through because maybe they haven't talked about it with their parents or they haven't talked about it with their friends. Maybe they've never even like talked about it before with anyone. They just have this idea like, I need to lose weight because high school weight, or I need to lose this weight because, well, my mom keeps making comments. I don't want to hear it anymore. But then when you mention that time, you know, like you look at your body composition and, and BMI in this context, you actually would benefit health-wise from gaining some muscle mass and gaining some weight would be my recommendation. Um, and aesthetically, we can help you look a way that you want to look and make you get stronger and better energy. Does that sound like something better? If you just took their goal at face value, you're actually going to do them a disservice and go in the opposite direction and make things worse. So I really like that. You framed kind of the why behind things, because you got to make sure you're starting out like on the same footing versus from the get go, you're already going in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, the, the client, the athlete, the patient, whoever it is, like they, they do know their body best, but we are the professionals and it's our job to kind of not, I don't want to say assume, but kind of predict like where their mindset could be at and sort of ask the right questions to, like you said, get them to kind of see themselves what the other way of thinking might be. Like, we can't just say to them, no, you are wrong. Losing weight is bad. You need to gain weight. Like that's never going to help them, but helping them to see themselves. Like, I like how you said that, like helping them to see themselves that there are other alternatives that maybe would be a little bit healthier. I think that's kind of where our uh, expertise lies is what I'm trying to say.
0: Absolutely. Sometimes I even frame it like, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you do to yourself. Sometimes I frame it as someone outside of themselves. And so obviously our clients may not have, you know, exercise physiology background and no different assessments, but it's like, Hey, if your friend presented in this way, X, Y, Z, what would be some advice you would give to your friend? And Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, if I ever do have that conversation, it's like, yeah, that's probably not my, I would probably tell my friend that's not the healthiest thing and that I love and support them and that they probably shouldn't do that. It's like, Thank you for answering yeah. my question. Let's move on, right? Exactly. Yeah, very, very good. So yeah, I love the why, I love the context. I'm big with that. Now, remind me, Hannah, what are the the clients you work with both like prof- professionally in in your in your job and as well with your side with your business that you do? Are you primarily working with like general population clients? Do you work with athletes? Remind me who's like your main clientele?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, in my outpatient position, it is just general outpatient along with eating disorders. I do help with the eating disorder team too at the, the hospital that I work at. Um, and then as for my business, my, my content is all targeted towards disordered eating. I, I don't accept clients in my own business for eating disorders because I it's kind of answer our future question. Probably. I, I think that they often need a little more support than just a dietitian can give including mental health therapy and a physician to run their labs, things like that. So I kind of have that boundary there in my own business that it is disordered eating. um, And I am happy with patients and clients to refer them if they do need more support. Um, But it is, I do very much do a lot of general outpatient to, you know, GERD and type two diabetes and all that good stuff as well. Whole spectrum.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So yeah, you, you perfectly went into the next thing I want to ask. So As like a general RD for like maybe young professionals who are listening or people who are RDs as well, or those who are aspiring to be, what like is the general role that an RD plays with people who are displaying disordered eating, or maybe when they start crossing that boundary into eating disorders, like what role does an RD play on that, on that spectrum?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, we're, we're just part of the team. Like, especially when it comes to full blown eating disorders, like we can't do it alone, at least not in the best possible way. Um, now I will say again, of course, eating disorder care is not always accessible to everybody. And so if all that they do have access to is a dietitian, I think that's still awesome. Um, but of course, as able, getting them into a therapist would be a great thing as well. Um, and I always say too, if you are working with patients or clients or athletes, whoever it is in any, whatever, how you want to define them. Um, You are working with people who have disordered eating and eating disorders, so it is very important to know what to look for, know what to do when you have those people come into your gym or your exam room or whatever, um, because every day you are going to interact with someone who has those struggles. Um, But as a dietitian, the things that we can do, of course, are all around the nutrition piece. Um, Eating disorders are a mental illness. That's why it is so important to get that mental health therapy as well. Um, but of course food is a huge part of this too. So that's where we come in. Um, I think a big part of our, what we can do as dietitians is we are really well-trained in knowing what to look for. Like we can identify those signs and symptoms of disordered eating and sometimes people won't even know that they're having that struggle, but we can kind of bring it to their attention. Of course, in a way that is appropriate, um, because they may not even know because again, it's so glorified oftentimes and it's just being healthy. Um, but as dietitians, we often know what to look for and we can, we can tell if it is or isn't actually healthy. Um, when it comes to the actual treatment, like seeing a a patient or a client, we're the ones to provide the nutrition counseling, the education. I will say most of my role is a, a lot of just dispelling myths and providing Information that usually goes against what you would see on social media, like actually you should have carbs at every meal and snack. You'll feel better if you get all that fiber in. No, you don't need to be adding Himalayan salt to every glass of water that you drink. Like, a lot of my job is dispelling misinformation, which I love. It's it's
0: You're the best kind of, side of it, man. You are the, you are the go when it comes to dispelling diet information. I love it. Oh man, <laughs> I
1: have made a career out of it. Yes, Seriously. you have. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um now in some disorder care, depending on what that uh, patient is struggling with, we will provide meal plans. I I'm pretty I'm pretty on the fence when it comes to meal plans because it doesn't really help a patient like learn new behaviors, like and learn to think for themselves. You know, they're still just kind of following a new set of rules if you're giving them a meal plan that's very like cut and dry. Yeah. Which following rules is likely partially what got them in this place to begin with. So it is, it is warranted in some situations to provide a very structured, like you must follow this meal plan, especially for those who are very restrictive and hardly eating anything. They're the ones who most benefit from that, but as for just general disordered eating. You likely won't catch me just telling someone like, here's breakfast, here's lunch, here's dinner. Like, right. we don't really know what foods are going to sound good for them that day. We don't know what portions are right for them. Cause even that is going to vary day to day, what their body wants and needs, so I know we often think of dietitians as being like the meal plan givers, and we do have that uh, credibility to do that. But yeah. it's it's a very small piece of at least my job, I would say in my role.
0: Now, if someone goes, like you said, beyond the scope where you're like, oh, man, this is beyond like the conversation and meal planning side of things. If that comes to context, you they would go to someone who's more like a a counselor, a therapist, or would it be like a, a psychologist situation? Or what, what does that next leap look like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if they, if they do need more support with the mental health side of things, and I will note that as dietitians, we can help some with developing coping strategies, things like that. Like I I help patients a lot with figuring out, you know, why are you emotional eating? What does that look like for you? What is causing that? Why do you turn to food so frequently? Um, what other ways can we cope? Um, but you know, much further than that, it really, really is a job for a mental health professional and it could be an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health therapist. It absolutely can be a psychologist. A psychiatrist would be kind of that top tier, someone who could also prescribe medications as needed, get lab orders if needed. They can refer to a dietitian if they aren't already seeing one. So a psychiatrist is kind of that doctor who could like refer to all these different people. Whereas like an LCSW is very, very important and helpful, but- and they wouldn't be the ones to be able to do that super high level care.
0: Got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. Now, for my my coaches out there, for our trainers or aspiring trainers, who are listening. Where do they fit into this, you know, allied healthcare continuum? Like, how do they kind of help you and the people above that you mentioned when you have maybe people presenting with some concerns?
1: I am so excited for this part because. Like I said, if you are working with clients, you have people coming into your door that have disordered eating or eating disorder. And if you work with athletes specifically, they are at an increased risk of developing disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, especially the ones who maybe play a sport that is focused on like their own personal performance, which is like a team performance or based on their appearance, their weight requirements. Um, those would be individuals who are at an even higher risk. Um, got some more stats that throw at you based on Let's go. athletes Let's go. Um, it's estimated that disordered <laughs> eating affects 62% of female athletes and 33% of male athletes Damn. and Holy this risk crap. isn't that crazy like over half of females who play a sport are likely going to exhibit some disordered eating
0: I definitely when you mentioned like the certain sports like I know like wrestling and maybe gymnastics and other things where like aesthetics and like weight cutoff points are very important and done at such a young age. I can definitely see that, but I didn't know it was that high. Holy crap.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, of course like swimming and diving where they're in a bathing suit and they're going to think about that kind of stuff more bodybuilding, obviously is going to be a huge one. Mm -hmm. Um, dancing, figure skating. Um, and then like, I think it's interesting, like the personal performance ones, like if you are your team, you know, like versus a team sport, that person is kind of like the star of the show and that, puts more pressure on them to look a certain way, perform a certain way. Um, which of course they would then consider what their food intake is like. Um, so I think that's a very interesting piece too. I would have never thought of that until I kind of dug a little bit deeper. Yeah, um, so you, you do think about as a trainer and a coach, I'm sure is if someone is focused on a weight requirement or how they're appearing, you might kind of consider how disordered eating could play a role in there. Um, but I think it's interesting too. Like I said, the, the people who, they are their own team like those kind of athletes yeah they have that increased risk as well
0: huh. yeah i never would have i imagined it would have been a little higher but i never would have thought it would have been like about two-thirds of women and a third of men that's insane
1: that's crazy and that's disordered eating i will say um yeah, of course still, eating disorders man, are going to be a little bit less but still yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy high yes um, it is but i didn't really answer your question yet i kind of just went on a no, whole tangent no. about All about that um Coaches, I think are going to, of course, again, they're going to be a person who is seeing these people directly and like they have a big impact on these clients' lives. Um, I think one of the most important things I'd say first and foremost, honestly, is kind of looking inward as a coach, evaluating your own values, your own attitudes regarding weight, dieting, body image. Um, because these can sort of be projected onto your clients um, inadvertently, usually. I will say, like there usually isn't going to be a coach who is intentionally trying to cause an eating disorder on their patient or client. And it's definitely not just coaches, too, of course. I mean, I see this all the time with doctors, NPs, dietitians, even causing issues like this. Um, but that's a big one, I would say, is sort of evaluating yourself first and foremost and seeing sort of what unpacking you can do yourself. Um, so that you don't inadvertently cause issues for your clients. Um, sharing resources is a really big one, you know, as a coach, it really isn't your role to treat or diagnose things like that, of course, but we can, if our clients have questions, we can always share resources. I know social media can be wishy-washy, but maybe like as a coach, having your own sort of like, I don't know if database is the right word, but. Some go to trusted social media accounts that you could tell your clients about um, people that you trust and, you know, are you kind of vouch as a good person. Um, You know, I, uh, I think that, of course, again, receiving professional support is very, very important if we can get access to it, but not everyone has that. And so that's why social media can be very helpful. It's free for most things. Um, that's honestly how I ended up recovering for the most part from disordered eating is through social media accounts, like my own other dietitians that I had seen and sort of just like self helping my way through it, which again, I don't recommend, um, but it is an option. I I get DMS all the time for people who have told me similar stories that content like mine has been really helpful for them. So I think that's helpful too, is either providing content like that on your page for your clients and your followers, um, or having, you know, resources that, you can get to them to follow.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think you also put it really well too, is like, I always advocate for referrals, right? So obviously I don't write meal plans for my clients because that's out of my scope and I should not be doing that. But also understanding that as time goes on, as people get more busy and it's hard sometimes to access all these professionals, right? It's like, you have a client's like, I need a personal trainer. I need a registered dietitian. I maybe even need someone from counseling and psychological services, And if you're not a student on college campus where those things may not be free or very cheap, most people probably can't afford that. So as a coach or an RD, it can be helpful to have a little bit more wide range of expertise or at least general knowledge, or like you said, social media, free resources that are reputable for people. Um, But yeah, definitely for coaches to have a little bit of background on like what you can do in that situation is going to be very, very helpful.
1: Yeah. And I, I think coaches and trainers, like they, they, as I can recall, when I became a trainer, like I, I think we received some education on this. And I would hope that most PTs and coaches could notice at least the general red flags, mm-hmm. um, which would it be helpful if we kind of went over some, like to look for.
0: Yes. I want you, you you're so good, man. I want the, <laughs> I, I wanted to know, like we kind of talked about some of those from like a coach's standpoint, working with clients, some of those obvious, like, yo, like yeah. I need to probably refer you to someone ASAP, ASAP. versus like, maybe some things coaches aren't thinking of or maybe have overlooked just because they haven't heard of that before.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go into some obvious ones first. So uh, these are ones that if you are a coach, you are a trainer, you've likely, you know to look for these, but it's, I think, worth mentioning. Um, Of course, compulsive exercise will be a very relevant one for your listeners. If they are wanting to work out all the time, like two plus hours every single day of the week, red flag, like rest, we know is very productive and important as part of an exercise routine. We can't have a workout routine without having rest incorporated in there too. Um, so that's a big one is the compulsive movement. And that will be a very relevant one for most people who work with athletes or clients in that way. Um, rapid weight loss, of course, could be another one as well. And I know if you are a coach or trainer or dietitian, whoever that, is sort of still on that diety mindset. You might be the person who's like congratulating this, like, oh, wow, you lost 40 pounds this month. I must be a really great trainer. I've done oh, really shit. good for you, <laughs> but uh, not great. Like, yeah. even if that, that client's goal is weight loss or in any other way, change of their body composition, uh, slow and steady wins the race. Like, mm-hmm. hopefully we all know this by now, but um, seeing that rapid weight loss could be a red flag. And even weight gain too. I think that one would typically go along with if someone has like binge eating disorder, um, someone who is not purging, um, rapid weight gain can be a result of that. And I think it's very, very important for, uh, again, all the whole spectrum of coaches, trainers, dietitians to not assume that just because someone has gained weight or lost weight, or say even reduced body fat, gain body fat, whatever you're kind of checking for this person's metrics that their performance is going to get better or worse. Like if, if a client is, if their goal, how do I want to word this? I guess it's kind of it. If they are losing weight, losing body fat, we cannot just assume that was what's good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not always a case where performance for that client will improve. Some actually would do better with some more meat on their bones. Yeah. Um, so that's one too, is just kind of taking weight with a grain of salt because it, it is only a very small piece of the puzzle.
0: Absolutely. I like the first one you mentioned because I know some coaches might be like, you're telling people they're exercising too much. People don't exercise in general. I have had a handful of clients in my time who fit that description. Mm-hmm. And the it's the exact same pattern. It's like a perfectionistic mindset. Definitely some like psychological things that needed to be dealt with. And the biggest thing was that because they're they were extremes in everything in their life. And so there was no boundary for like healthy lifestyle. It was all or nothing. And they were always injured. And they would do things where it's like, hey, I didn't I didn't tell you to do that. Like today was a rest day or I told you to do a two mile jog. and You turn it into a half marathon and like what's going on here. And they were always hurt, which messed with my programming. And so Yeah, I can definitely empathize with that, where I'll always advocate for more activity usually, but there's outliers and extremes on that in the spectrum too, where it's like, dude, like, enjoy your rest, man. It's okay. Like, it's not going anywhere.
1: And that's what's so frustrating about, uh, you know, being a (laughs) even-tempered, like, dietitian trainer is when you hear, like, a trainer say, like, rest, you think they're, like, promoting laziness? When you hear a dietician say like, it's okay to eat cake. You think that we're just like, I hear it oh, all the time. You just promote obesity. obesity and people
0: dying. It's like, yo, oh my God.
1: <laughs> but like, no, that's actually not what we're saying. We're saying that it's okay to do that. You don't have to restrict if you do that and actually resting or eating cake once in a while is actually going to be better for your health than not doing those things. What was
0: the one you got the other day you posted? Hannah? <laughs> that, what, what was that one again? That Bozo posted? What was it? Do you remember?
1: Oh, I don't know. I talk about this so much. I'm sure I have like 40 posts about this because I talk about it constantly.
0: Oh my God. Guest appearance for those who are watching. Finn, oh. the actual star, has entered the chat. He Finn. is
1: the dietitian Hannah mascot.
0: Yes, he is the cutest boy ever. Sub Finn? How you doing, bud? boy. <laughs> no, I love that. Yes, thank you for outlining those obvious ones. Like you said, I think most coaches, even if they're relatively new, they can see those things and be like, hmm, a little bit issue. Maybe I should talk or... Think about referring. Now, what are some of those maybe more subtle signs that, like, your general coach or even maybe someone who sees and it's like, you know, I never maybe considered that's something I need to think
1: about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one might be obvious for some, I'd say, but if someone is talking about their body a lot, they're calling themselves fat. I hate how my legs look. I don't like how this arm is jiggling. I think it's tricky because, as a coach, that's what they're going to tell you probably. They're like, probably depending on like in what field you work in, maybe coming to you to change their body shape and size and kind of sculpt it a certain way. Um, but if they're kind of repeatedly talking about that and it's, it's just constantly dogging on their own body, like saying bad things about themselves, that could absolutely be a sign. Um, this one also really depends. These all do, I guess, but If what they're wearing changes quite a bit like if they go from wearing you know a sports bra and some leggings to like really baggy clothing Mm. um it could be that they're trying to hide a change in their body shape and size um or i would even argue kind of the other way too if they are someone who was wearing maybe like baggier clothing because they didn't like the way their body looked when it was a little bit bigger and now that they've rapidly lost this weight they're now you know wearing Tighter, more revealing clothing. Just like noticing those little changes, I suppose, and how that person is presenting themselves can be maybe a subtle sign. And again, I want to clarify that's not always going to be a problem. Um, like I myself have gone through phases of what I like to wear when I work out. It just depends on like what I like, you know? Yeah. Um, but that could be one. Um, now if if your clients do ever talk to you about your their food and that's something you guys kind of get into together. Um, looking out for them showing like a really large interest in food. Like I mentioned earlier, like if they're always talking about like what they had for breakfast, what sounds really, really good that they want to eat. um, They're always just like talking about that throughout your sessions all the time. And that could be a sign. Um, I don't know for a coach, like how much you might see this sort of thing, but Um, If they are using like really, really strong, like condiments to cover up the flavor of low calorie Uh, foods, like the mustard diet girl, have you guys, have you heard of her?
0: I have heard of this. Yes.
1: Uh, I haven't made a video about it yet. This is my first time sharing my thoughts on mustard diet. But again, I cannot say that she has an eating disorder. I'm not doing that here. But generally speaking, if someone is constantly covering up low calorie foods with very strong flavored condiments, mustard, hot sauce, vinegar, things like that. Um, that could be a red flag. And if they're eating the same things over and over and over again, because those are safe for them, that could also be a flag as well. Red flag.
0: Gotcha. So kind of the things where it becomes like hyper fixation on body, body state and their diet to where it's like, it becomes like the principle of their personality and your interaction with them in a sense.
1: Exactly. And it, it it's going to be hard to identify if they are maybe a newer client to you versus someone right, you've right. Seen for years. And you've kind of seen that change. You're like,
0: hold on, this isn't you normally don't don't act this way in your personality. And it That'd seems like it's not identify. a healthy thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really like that first one you said again, about like, the way people view and talk about their body. Mm-hmm. This is one and unfortunately, it does happen with men as well. But I noticed like, just disproportionately, it's my female clients that I work with. It's like, constant and i i, I aggressively attacked in like a joking way i'm like i'm like shut up don't talk about your body that way and i sometimes i'll even make them because they know me and it, it's like a little psychology to do with them. i'm like pause i want you to reframe that stuff i even had people do that for homework i'm like i want you to stop think about what you just said and i want you to give me a positive thing that you're happy about for your body that doesn't revolve around aesthetics. so like someone will say oh, like you said
1: we love affirmations That's i'm like great. oh my
0: legs are so <laughs> fat and stupid it's like oh, i hate the way i look i'm like hold up tell me something positive about your legs. So you're like, you're like, you know what? I did squats the other day. I'm really happy. I could do, you know, 135 on squats. Like, there you go. Sometimes even if it is an aesthetic thing and I feel like, you know, it's, it's a healthy way, I'll, I'll, I will intentionally be like, can you say something positive visually about your body since you said something negative about it? It's like, uh, mm-hmm. I really like my hair or I really like my smile or I do like the way that, you know, my, my body feels in the stress today. It's like, okay, good. So you, identified, you stopped. And now you've kind of corrected the course. And what I notice with people like that in general, until they come across someone like you, or they find a better relationship with food in their body is they lose all the weight, or they change their body composition. And maybe they have a little bit of a glow and they feel good for a little bit. But then they're like, that kind of like highlight comes down. They're like, I don't feel any better or the other side, right where they were very skinny in high school, and then they've their body changed because their life changed and they're not as active as they used to be or whatever. Um, and they gained a bunch of weight and they're look back at photos and they're like, man, I thought I was bad then. And they're like, I looked bomb back then and I felt good back then. But mm. now I look even or I feel worse even about myself. So it's like it doesn't matter if they gain or lose or whatever. It's like they're unhappy regardless. And so yes. that is a big thing I see, too. If you hear people talking about themselves like, oh, back then I felt really good. But there were times also still too, I thought I was too big. And it's like, dude, you get to that weight. It's not going to, it's not going to change how you feel necessarily if you're already starting in that mindset.
1: Exactly. Like we got to separate our our happiness, our worth, like from what our body looks like, because they can be interconnected. Like we cannot deny that those in larger bodies aren't getting stigmatized constantly in their lives. But it does not automatically mean that losing weight is going to make you a happier person. Like there's still going to be your demons, your battles that you got to fight, no matter what your body size is.
0: Absolutely. If I said, if you're not happy, you know, obviously you can, I think we talked about this in the podcast I was on with you. Like it's okay to want to change your body, but, and, and, you know, understand, but you need to have some level of like peace with yourself. Currently. It doesn't mean that everything's perfect and that you're perfect. No one's perfect the way they are. Right. But understanding that, like, if you're very unhappy and self-deprecating now, and, and there's some negative behavior associated with that, what makes you think that's going to change when you reach this number? Like, I'd, I'd argue in that situation, it probably won't. Um, And so you need to start working on your mental here and now. And if those things come with it, hey, more power to you. But it's not going to change just because the number changed and it's going to solve all your problems right away.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I love it. Now, you know me, Hannah, I'm all about, and I think you are too, I'm all about autonomy. So- staying within like obviously the healthy range, right? First and foremost, if you need help, go see someone like Hannah, go see a professional, et cetera. If there are some people that are dealing with some things, hell, maybe they're strapped for cash or maybe they're like, I wanna try some help, some self-help tips on my own if I'm noticing some of these behaviors, what are some things that people can maybe try and implement in their life right now that can maybe help them along this path if they're starting to exhibit some of these behaviors?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I think the biggest thing is I always call it like a social media detox. Like it's the <laughs> only detox I recommend um, is go through social media and to the best of your ability. Like get rid of all those accounts that are promoting a certain body size that is not attainable for you. They're always talking about cutting out this food, that food. This is toxic or poisonous. You know the accounts. You know the accounts I'm talking about. Like get rid of those. And Plants are killing follow. you, Hannah.
0: Don't you know? Don't be. Don't be a sheep. Oh Plants God, are killing I know. you.
1: I know, oh. <laughs> but follow accounts of people. I think this one's very important too, because body diversity does exist. Follow accounts of people who look like you, like stop following people who look nothing like you and then be upset that you don't look like them. That's a great um, point. Follow accounts that look like you, whether it be your size, race, things like that. I got a comment the other day from someone who was upset that me, a dietitian was promoting, you know, intuitive eating anti-diet approach while residing in a thin body that I just naturally have. And I of course always acknowledge that I do have that thin privilege. It's very, very true. Um, and that's why I, I do encourage following those who promote a similar message, because they're out there. Those who are saying similar things that I would, but they are saying it from their perspective, which would be someone who has a body that looks maybe more like yours. Yeah. Um. So that's a big one. The social media can be a really great resource. Um. I I think the biggest thing that I tell people every single day is eat enough and eat consistently. Like it's not sexy, but that's what it really is going to boil down to for most people. Coffee is not breakfast.
0: You know who you are. If I'm talking out loud here, coffee is not (laughs) breakfast. Stop. It's part of breakfast. But if your first meal is at 2 PM, you know who you are. I'm talking about always doggone yes. stop doing that. <laughs>
1: it's so true. And again, with intermittent fasting being such uh, a big thing right now, it's so glorified. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm good. Not eating until 5 PM. Like that's not, that's not a brag. I don't think <laughs> like, no, especially enough. when it's backfiring like that happens in most cases I see as someone is trying so hard to like push off that time when they start eating to begin the day until as late as possible. And it just backfires. They end up eating more throughout the rest of that evening than if they just kind of spread it out throughout the day. So again, I know it's not sexy at all, but eating enough, which maybe it would help to kind of see it. I just to know what enough is. People often underestimate what enough is Yeah. Um, in my world anyway. And then also eat consistently three meals a day, add your snacks in. Of course, there's cases where it's a little bit different for people, but that tends to be. The generic advice that works for most people
0: <laughs> yeah the frequency one again for my coaches out there you can talk about general principles of you know eating and behaviors etc as long as you're not prescribing stuff you're providing education the biggest one that i found helpful just as a recommendation to people is like hey try increasing your frequency i have a lot of clients who for whatever reason this is something i just learned about actually hannah which is funny is like they don't eat early in the morning because they feel nauseous if they eat too early and so for whatever reason like if i have a a six, uh, seven a.m. or an 8 a.m. client, they're like, I can't really eat too much. Like, that's fine, but don't wait till 2 p.m. to have your first meal because I think that's probably where you could see some binging behavior, right? It's like starve, starve, starve. I get my first meal and I eat it so fast because I'm so hungry. It's like, oh, when you're starving, y'all know you can, you can slam two bowls of Chipotle if you're really that hungry. Then you feel like crap. Then you get mad at yourself. And then for dinner, you do the same thing. And so you're like, oh, I had one or two meals but then you made them so large in such large quantity. And then you feel bad because you stuffed yourself so much that you go the opposite direction, right? Versus it's like, Hey, smaller portions or having snacks built in throughout the day of things that are very satiating, that are very healthy, or generally, you know, have good things for you, like fiber, protein, et cetera. That gives you more sustained energy throughout the day. And you'll probably feel a little bit better.
1: I hear that daily, that exact thing, like I don't want to eat in the morning because I feel crummy if I do. Or the other one I hear is, well, if I eat breakfast, then I feel more hungry the rest of the day. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It's good. Like your body is like telling you what it wants and needs versus like you just kind of guessing and eating to a point that's not actually satisfying for you because you have no idea what your hunger and fullness cues are. But if we're eating consistently, we get so much more in tune with our body and it's able to tell us like when it's hungry, when it's full rinse and repeat every few hours and it just becomes more of like a, a natural thing versus a guessing game.
0: Absolutely. And I tell people like in, in a joking way, if they push back even further, I'll joke and be like, Hey, is it working now? Like question mark, right? Like, why don't you, why don't we try something a little bit different? You try it for a few weeks, see if you like it. If you don't, we'll, we'll do something else. But like, clearly this pattern you're doing is not changing in a positive way. So why don't we change up the strategy a little bit and heck, you probably find out that it helps you. Or if not, we do something different. And it's no big deal, right? You, you wasted two weeks, wasted two weeks trying something different. Oh, well.
1: It's so funny you say that because I recently had a patient who was in, I think her 60s. And we talked about exactly this, like, let's try to get in more throughout the day, because she didn't eat all day until dinner. And of course, that led to those like binge type behaviors in the evening. And so I brought up the idea of let's try to get at least three meals if not some snacks in there too Um, which usually tends to go better because they're not used to eating three meals like adding in three big meals doesn't feel very good so kind of snacking is a little bit easier for them oftentimes Um, but she was very apprehensive about it she was like i don't know like i feel like eating more is gonna backfire i was like i totally hear you it's a very valid thing to kind of feel a little bit nervous about this if you're not used to it and if it does feel like it will just lead to you eating more but the way you're currently doing things is is that working for you? It doesn't seem like it really is. That's why you're here today. And like you said, like, let's try it out. If it doesn't work, we'll change it up. That's okay too. Like nothing's ever set in stone here. No strings attached. We'll just see how it goes and make changes as needed.
0: 100%. I love that. So we got a good understanding of disorder eating versus eating disorders. That's good. We got some cool ways to identify it. Lifestyle versus maybe some signs and symptoms. And then also for my coaches out there, how you can start maybe seeing these obvious and not so obvious signs. And then, For my listeners out there, if you're someone who maybe has kind of take note of yourself and like, hmm, maybe these are some things that I need to start addressing to maybe make my lifestyle more positive for my mind and my body. Now you have maybe a little bit of tools that can help you out. So Hannah's been awesome with helping us out with that. Now, of course, for the final question, possibly the most controversial, right? For those who listen to Hannah's podcast with me, and and I think she does this on other ones, they always have like a fun question at the end, usually food-based in the ones that I've been on. And so we're going to talk about um, some favorite foods that Hannah has here. And we're going to see if we we align at all. Because we haven't told each other our answers yet. So Hannah, I need to know your your top three favorite types of cheese. Okay? And and if you disagree with Hannah, please, you got to let her know in her comments if what cheese is better and why. You you have to let her know.
1: And I also expect free cheese from the brand and the type of cheese that I promote. Oh, yes. Please sign me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because on our podcast, we've like been doing this for almost three years now. So we're running out of food questions and now we're getting into like very random stuff. Like what's like the worst superpower kind of thing.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> Have you guys done, done this one, one, one yet, before? Though. We haven't done this one. Oh, it's funny go. though because Emily Emily's so weird about cheese that it would just end up being a fight for us because oh. I love cheese. Um, Not a real fight. We're, we're besties. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. anyway, so to get to the question at hand. My listeners also know that I am terrible at picking favorites of things. Um, I think it's just like the people pleaser in me. <laughs> but when it comes to cheese, I do have some, some top loves. Okay, okay. Um, I would say for what's the word like versatility and like what I always have, like in my cheese drawer, in my fridge, Colby Jack, cow okay. cheese, like
0: respect, that's respect. always
1: going to be in there, whether it be in like shredded form, sliced form, cheese stick form. We've always got usually all three of those. Um, I will say my second answer is a little more niche and it doesn't go with everything, but that's going to be Brie. Okay. I love like a baked Brie with like a strawberry jam kind of thing Ooh. with like, All right. some like baked bread and crackers and oh, so good. I'm a big fan of sweet and salty. And then number three, I'm feeling stumped. I couldn't think of anything because it's my two favorites. I mean, I do. Okay. I have an answer actually. You know those like mozzarella balls that are like in the olive oil and seasoning, yes. like in the little tub. So good with Absolutely. like tomato, fresh tomato, fresh basil, and some balsamic yeah, yeah. glaze. The best. What they call it,
0: like a capri salad or whatever. Yeah, yes. like the balsamic glaze or olive oil, sea salt, and basil. That's so good. Oh, so good. Yes. Okay. That's a that's a solid roster right there. I got my three here. We agree on one of them. My Ooh, okay. number three is going to be Swiss. I love Swiss on right sandwiches really really good deli meat cheese um I really it's actually probably my favorite cheese on a hamburger too I really like how Swiss cheese goes on a hamburger um it's going to sound weird don't knock it till you try it Swiss and guacamole on a hamburger bomb bomb okay so Swiss cheese is is coming in hot at number 3 number 2 is regatta cheese I really love ricotta cheese. Obviously, it goes good on pizza. Um, If you don't know what it is, it kind of has like a similar texture consistency to um, cottage cheese in a sense. So if you're a texture person, I know it's not the most popular in that regard, but it's just so... It's mild, but I I love the consistency and I love how good it is. Stuffed shells, it's good with any kind of pasta. Like you put it on any type of pasta, it is just amazing. And it actually goes really good. I, I like it when you pair with something salty so again it's gonna sound really weird but when I was younger I used to do like tortilla chips with ricotta cheese because it's just salty and mild it's like super super good and then number one we agree on is got to be mozzarella cheese like the goat goes good on anything pizza hamburgers it it don't matter you can do it with like an egg frittata like it it's
1: It's so so versatile
0: yes or even just by itself with some like sea salt dude like I could eat literally just pounds of mozzarella cheese by itself
1: I I always forget about like ricotta cheese and cottage cheese being like in this category. That's a good answer. Cottage Um, cheese is
0: really good with fruit too.
1: I, this might sound weird, but it's a great snack. And speaking of like gentle nutrition and like incorporating things in a non-diety way, if you love potato chips, but you know that they don't really satisfy you very much on their own, dip your potato chips in cottage cheese. That
0: sounds bomb. That sounds so good. so good. (laughs) So salty
1: so like crunchy and smooth yes and it has protein and our Talking like a a
0: lay's classic chip or like a ruffle chip kind of
1: i like a ruffle or a dorito i was gonna say a ruffle chip
0: and that sounds good man (laughs) like
1: a a sour cream and onion or like a a cool ranch dorito oh my gosh so good
0: oh that sounds really good now that's that's what i have to try now okay very cool so yeah in the comments uh let us know in if you disagree with us, unfortunately you're wrong and you're just going to have to live with that because Sorry. we have the best cheese boys, uh, best yeah. cheese choices. Sorry. Well, cool. Hannah, thank you so much again. Dude, I really appreciate your time and giving us some awesome info. I learned a couple of things here, which is awesome um, on the disordered eating and eating disorder side. So really appreciate your time. As always, let people know where they can find and connect with you.
1: Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I I am making it known that I refuse to be dethroned as the, the resident- right four plus repeater. Um, but yeah, you can find me on social media, especially I'm usually hanging out on, um, YouTube as of recently, I'm trying to get more long form video out, which is super fun. So I'll be there. I post, you know, TikToks, reels, and shorts on all those platforms, as well as Facebook has been a surprisingly big hit lately. So if you're a Facebook person, find me over there. Um, and then of course our podcast, the upbeat dietitians, we have 100 plus episodes now so we're always having a great time over there as well
0: yes i'll be sure to link all those below again and uh, hannah has also a lot of great resources recipes information on her website um really cool things to check out so please be sure to look them up because they are amazing amazing resources y'all know where to find me right on our website theshiftmethod.org we got blog articles that come out we got the merch which i think hannah might be actually wearing some right now that she has on yeah i am yeah. So we have the old school and we have the new school, right? That we made a little earlier in the year. If you want to check some of those out, um, coaching services are still available for in-person virtually, or those training templates that you want to do. You can come train with me. If you're in the South Florida region down at Johnny O's gym in Boca Raton, South Florida. And of course we got that daily content on the socials, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube shorts. And of course the weekly content that's Spotify format or YouTube long form, com, uh, format. Hannah, thank you so much again. Really appreciate your time and hope you have one wonderful rest of your day. All right.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Later, everyone.